Welcome back, Changing Narratives listeners. If you're just tuning in now, this is episode three of the series. Here's a little bit of what you missed. In domestic violence, sexual assault cases, defense attorneys are mm-hmm. brutal. Yeah. They're brutal with the they they vilify our victims. They vilify law enforcement. And a lot of times they I mean this is my opinion. But <laughs> no, yeah, of course. They, they, I've heard I've seen it in court too. Oh, yeah. they, they blame the victim. They prey on mm-hmm. the jurors' biases and prejudices. Yeah. And they complicate issues that they shouldn't. And it ends up looking badly on Yeah, you think it's such a simple victim. I know. You'd think it would be so simple. So what you just heard was my conversation in episode one with Mary, a victim's advocate in the DA's office. My conversation with her led me to uncover and share an anonymous male domestic violence victim story, which you can hear in episode two. Now for episode three, I wanted to play the story of a young female who was sexually assaulted. Here's Madison's story, who chose to speak about the issue after five years of silence to spread awareness about sexual assault by facilitating open conversations. She's a team member of Olzy, a personal safety app for iOS and Android that helps friends and family keep each other safe. My name is Madison Weiss, and I was 16 when I was raped. Warning, the following material may resurface or exacerbate traumatic experiences, especially for those affected by sexual assault. There's a certain point of consciousness where you're no longer asleep, but you aren't quite close to being awake yet. Where your body seems to sink, still and heavy, into the mattress. In this unsteady place, my body feels dense. I'm stuck. A reddish hue pushes into my eyelids, and the light from a window pulls me just a little bit further out of sleep. I open my eyes, slightly. The rays of sunlight rest on my face as they start to light up the room. I just lay awake, watching the dust settle along that billowing, white, down comforter. With my fingertips, I can feel a twisted sheet. I'm in a foreign bed. There's movement next to me. The haze of the previous evening begins to fade, and my head pounds. I can hear nothing but my own heartbeat. Lying next to me, he smiles at me as if he's no stranger. The image of him getting dressed in that morning glow is fuzzy and warping before my eyes. My head pounds. My eyes are open, but my body doesn't feel like it should. I'm frozen, as if my joints don't remember how to move, as if I cannot shift my weight like a baby learning how to walk. And all at once, it's like a rush of pins and needles and consumes my body. I have every desire to leave, yet I'm still with my heart between my ears. He walks around to my side of the bed, so I close my eyes hard, sick to your stomach hard, 
He whispers in my ear, kisses my forehead. The kind of kiss someone gives to inspire trust, comfort, and stability. He leaves, and I look down. Like a watercolor of rough brushstrokes. My blood is spread across this stranger's white, down comforter. I fold the sheet over quickly to hide what had happened here. But what happened here? Did he see? Does he know? But no matter where I seem to fold that sheet, there's blood marks. And handprints. A rush of fear and anxiety, embarrassment, cloud my eyes and I'm frozen once again. Usually when you wake from sleep, you still know yourself. You know what your body should feel like. I have to pee. My mind is aching still as I force my legs to swing over the side of the bed just to get up and pee, Madison. I roll the stained sheets aside, tucking them into the edge of the bed in hopes that no one will see or notice. So I walk towards the bathroom, avoiding all mirrors. With each new step, a pain follows, chasing out the last with a newer, sharper movement. I just have to pee. It's in my nature to cope, so that's what I do. My legs, my knees, my thighs, my groin, my hips, everything aches, and my breathing is slow, not steady but slow. I just have to pee. I keep telling myself, just get up and pee. I can't sit on the toilet. My legs are too bruised. It's too painful. So I hover, praying that everything still works properly. But a sharp pain consumes me, and I'm cut everywhere. The stinging blazes through me while my thoughts lose track of themselves, and my legs begin to shake. It happened. What happened? The stories you hear on the news, or the ones you don't? No. Who's still here? Paralyzed by the fear that I'm going to screech out in pain, I abandon the whole bathroom situation altogether. Find my clothes. I just need to find my clothes. Find my phone, find my clothes. Do something. I put on what I have, the dress from last night, and all at once I am hyper aware of how tight it is. It starts to press my thighs together, forces me to reopen every cut with each step. I clench my teeth. Get out. Text someone. Call someone. Who? Do something. Madison, do something. My best friend. Well, she's in the other room. She's asleep in the other room. My cousin. She'll get me home. My cuts burn, and the ache shifts up and down as I walk. Get her and go, just get her and go, leaving behind all of the evidence, the bloodied handprints that cover this stranger's bedroom, the scratch marks, the blood dripping down my legs, the embarrassment, the shame, the confusion, the haze, and the morning glow. I leave in silence. I return home in silence. I shower in silence, still unable to pee. My cousin drives away and comes back with plan B, damage control. But what happened? My name is Madison Weiss, and I was 16 when I was raped. It was a Saturday night, and there was a house party. My friends and I were just going to have a good time. 
And I didn't know the host, but we knew his parents were out of town. And as most high schoolers do, we took advantage of that fact. There were probably 50 or 60 of us scattered throughout every room of the house, some friends and some strangers. I was always the responsible kid. You know, my parents and teachers knew me as a well-rounded student. My mom and I had a great relationship, so she trusted me when I would ask to go out. And I drank in high school enough to know my limits, um, but I rarely smoked weed, I guess, at the same time. But this night was an exception. The combination of the two had me disoriented, to say the least. I was, to put it frankly, fucked up. A lot of kids were older than me, and as the baby of the group, I guess I just felt the need to prove myself. Little did I know, I was sedating myself, beyond control. Trust is a funny thing. I don't think you realize how powerful it is until it's taken from you. So, unknowingly, I gave it away. Innocently, I let everyone have it, ignorantly thinking that everyone deserves it until proven otherwise. That night, I was proved otherwise. I had no reason to mistrust my friends and classmates. I trusted them completely. I trusted myself completely. I was trusted completely. And I believed I was safe. In a crowd of people who I grew up with, I was safe. It's been five years since that night. My story, my truth, has never been shared, never been written down, and never been told. Until now. So here I am, unable to let go of even the smallest element of the worst night of my life. Like a book I'm forced to reread, or a horror movie I can't turn off. I'm condemned to recall and replay Every detail. I was trying to get away when he jammed his fingers into me and dug his thumb into my pelvic bone, dragging me across the bed as I clawed for escape. The sheets sliding under my fingers, and when I finally got a grip of the edge of the bed to pull myself away, I felt his cold, bony fingers wrap around my ankle, and he yanked me back towards him. Confusion and pain. Vigorously raped by his fingers over and over and over, his dirt-covered, unmanicured fingernails scraping off layer after layer of skin. As I started to bleed, it started to burn. My head slammed against the headboard, his hand on the back of my neck, forcing me down, repeatedly asking, do you like that? 
then the transition from his rough, stained fingernails to his raw, uncovered penis. His only words, it'll be fine. It's better this way. I remember struggling to breathe through the feather pillows. I tossed and turned, rotating my hips from one side to the other, just trying to shake him off me. You know those dreams? The scariest ones. The ones where you scream and nothing comes out. That was my reality. I soon realized, I guess, that fighting just wasn't working. So I gave in. I thought that maybe, just maybe, if I gave him what he wanted, he would stop. The pain would stop. But I remember that moment. The one when he slid into me. I remember the exact moment. Because to me, the rest doesn't matter. I felt the life draining slowly out of me, like a trickle from the end of my fingertips. And it didn't matter how much longer it would last or how much pain I was in. The moment he entered me was the moment I was defeated. I was not a virgin. But in that moment, I lost my innocence. In that moment, I became a victim. A word so toxic, it's remained hidden for five years. And the decision was made for me. To keep secrets, to put up walls and trust barriers. Sex, a previously enjoyable experience, was now haunted. I remember I, I woke when the morning light hit my face. My vagina was pulsing, echoing, mimicking the rhythm of my heartbeat. I reached down just to pull the sides of my vagina together, trying to close the cuts, stop the bleeding for a second, pause the pain. So I laid there, trapped in bloodied sheets with no recollection of how I got in that position. But I did not cry. Where were my friends? Anyone? In a house with dozens of people? How did I end up so terrified, so alone, fighting moment to moment to keep his hands off, out of me, enduring his weight, his strength, his force? Where was my best friend as I was crawling? grasping at the edge of the bed, trying to pull myself away. Where were the people I came with when I was watching myself give up, let go? It was like looking through the window of some exhibit in an out-of-body experience. But where was I? when I released all muscle function in surrender, letting him finish what he had started? Where was I when I needed me most? Where was I when I froze and let the light fade from my eyes?
Where was I? <laughs> I was in a stranger's bed. The same stranger who cornered me at school the following Monday just so that he could tell me how much of an inconvenience it was for him to wash the blood off of his sheets. How many times it took to wash the blood off his sheets. How I owed him for washing my blood off of his sheets. Did he know how many times I tried to wash that night off of my body? His house off of my body? How many times I scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed until my skin turned raw? Raw like the cuts on my body. Raw like the way I was penetrated. Was he aware of the nights I spent curled on the floor of my shower, letting the water burn my skin, run over my eyes, my hair being pulled towards the drain? Or how about of the STDs tests I had taken to make sure I was okay, to make sure I could have children? Did he know about the moments, the months, the years I went unable to be touched? Of the series of troubled decisions I made as a result of my distrust in men, did he know? Did he ask? I wager he's out there right now still conveniently suppressing what he did that night. Spinning it effortlessly. She wanted it. Perhaps recalling his grand conquest with some pitiful fondness. I wonder, does he recount to his friends how he confronted me that next Monday, demanding that I reimburse him for ruining his sheets with my blood? Does he think it's funny? Or is he mad that I never paid him? He shattered my innocence. My peace of mind. A peace of my mind. It's five years later. And I know you're going to ask me why it took so long to share my story. And I guess all I can say to you is that for five years, I've been frozen. Slowly defrosting, waiting for someone or something to do better by me. But I realize that it's not about what's been done to me or for me, but about how I can do better by others. Like countless others before me, the reasons for not speaking out seem plethoric, largely centered around guilt, fear, or shame. My goal is to not only share my experience, that it may help others as I have been helped, but to be part of a solution that seeks to provide protection for all of us in the form of community. No longer do I just have to cope. I can live and thrive and heal and be a part of a revolution. This revolution that is changing lives as I know it has changed mine. This community has inspired me to share, no matter how my story may be received or how I will be judged, because if my story can change one, help one, inspire 
just one. I will have done right by that Saturday night. I will have done right by myself. And I'm no longer frozen. My name is Madison Weiss, and I stand as a survivor, a storyteller, and as a proud member of the Woolsey community. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time for episode four.